Good morning, church. My name is Luke. I'm one of the ministers here at PCC, and we are going to dive into God's Word together today. But before we do, I just got to warn you up front. In our text today, we are going to see some very strange things. We're going to see tribes and kings and curses and blessings and, yes, even a talking donkey. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Our main character for the day is this guy named Balaam. And at one point in the story, Balaam's donkey actually talks to him. They have a conversation. Needless to say, that's quite a bit different from the world we live in. So with such a huge culture gap between our world and this text, I thought it might be best to start off this morning by being live on location. Take a look. Have you heard the one about the two muffins in the oven? One muffin looks at the other, says, man, it's getting hot in here. And the other muffin says, holy smoke, a talking muffin. (laughs) It's a silly joke, but the amazing thing about our text today is not necessarily that the donkey talks, but it's that when the donkey talks, the donkey's owner, this guy named Balaam, he does not say, holy smoke, a talking donkey. (laughs) Why is that? The text gives us no indication that Balaam was surprised at all that his donkey talked. Well, maybe that's because Balaam knows the power of God. That if there really is a God who created the world and hung the stars and spoke the universe into existence, then it's not really that big of a deal that he could make a donkey, a donkey talk. That's, it's not that crazy. I mean, you guys listen to me every week, right? <laughs> uh, I'm here today with my donkeys. I mean, my brother's donkey. <laughs> uh, don't, don't ask me why my brother has a donkey. It's a long story. I can tell you later. But this is a female donkey, uh, just like the one in our text today. And she has a name. Her name is Nova. And uh, Nova here, do you have anything you'd like to add to the conversation so far, Nova? Not much to say. She's not a very talkative donkey. Uh, But Nova, her name literally means in Spanish, it won't go, (laughs) which I think is a very appropriate name for a donkey. If you ask my brother when he went and got this donkey, uh, it took him three hours just to get her in the trailer. And that's kind of how our whole situation in our text today gets started. Before the donkey ever talks, Balaam's problem is that the donkey just won't go. It won't go. So, uh, Nova, anything you'd like to add to the conversation today? Okay, well, feel free to jump in as we go. Let's jump into the text. (laughs) That goat almost got me. I didn't even see it. So uh, we are in the book of Numbers this morning. We're gonna be in Numbers chapters 22 through 24. And uh, I recognize that our sermon series is called Exodus and we are no longer in the book of Exodus, but bear with me because when the book of Exodus ends, the Israelites are still wandering around in the desert. And so the book of Numbers begins where the book of Exodus leaves off. And in the book of Numbers, in our text today, uh, the Israelites by this point, they've been wandering around in the desert for 39 years years. And finally, after all of that, they are almost to the promised land. And on their way to the promised land, I mean, tribe after tribe, king after king tries to stand in Israel's way, but God helps Israel defeat every single one of their enemies. And of course, the other tribes around are starting to take notice. And two tribes in particular, Moab and Midian, see what's happening. They don't want to end up as roadkill like the rest of their neighbors. And so they hatch a plan. And here's their little plan. They think, okay, well, uh, maybe we should hire somebody. And so Moab and Midian, they go, they make this really long journey across the world, uh, you know, the world in that day, to a guy named Balaam. And Balaam was this world-renowned pagan witch doctor wizard type guy. It was a common practice in those days that before you fought an enemy in battle, you'd want to hire somebody to curse that enemy, give you better luck when you fight him. And so they decide to go hire Balaam to curse the Israelites. Let's see how it works out for him. Verses uh, 7 through 12 in Numbers chapter 22. It says, the elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. 
When they came to Balaam, they told him what Balak had said. Yeah, spend the night here, Balaam said to them, and I'll report back with, to you with the answer the Lord gives me. So the Moabite officials stayed with him. God came to Balaam and asked, who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. The people that's come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now come put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I'll be able to fight them and drive them away. But God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. So we got some tricky names in our text today. We've got Balak and we've got Balaam. Balak is the king of Moab. Balaam is the wizard guy who they were hiring to curse Israel. And so Balak sends some messengers to Balaam, says, hey, why don't you come curse these Israelites for us? Balaam says, fine, why don't you spend the night? We'll see if God will talk to me in a dream. Tell me what's up. And so Balaam, he, Balaam, he goes to sleep. God does show up, talks to Balaam in a dream. He's like, uh, dude, no way. Those are my people. I bless them. You can't curse them. So Balaam wakes up, says to the messengers, sorry, guys, no deal. Go home. End of story, right? Well, not quite. Because King Balak, he won't take no for an answer. So he sends more messengers again to try to convince Balaam to curse the Israelites, except this time he sends the messengers with a blank check. Check it out. Verses 15 through 19. It says, then Balak sent other officials, more numerous and more distinguished than the first. They came to Balaam and said, this is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Do not let anything keep you from coming to me because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come, put a curse on these people for me. But Balaam answered them, even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Well, that just sounds very nice, doesn't it? But then he says, ah, now spend the night here so I can find out what else the Lord will tell me. So let's pause for just a minute right here because Balak looks like he's doing the right thing, right? He says, hey, I can only do what God tells me to do, but never know. Spend the night, let's see what God says. That's a problem. Balaam already knew what God wanted him to do. He just didn't wanna do it. He knew, God had told him, no, you can't curse those people. But all Balaam sees is dollar signs. He's greedy. So he asks God again. He was just a, a prophet for profit. Don't laugh at that, please. <laughs> Verses 20 through 22 says, that night God came to Balaam and said, since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. So Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey and went with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. So yes, God does give Balaam permission to go with those guys. He says, fine, go with them. But he does not give him permission to curse them. He says, do only what I tell you to do. So Balaam wakes up in the morning, saddles his donkey. He's heading off for his great payday. He's, he's a happy man. He's ready to go make some money. And that's the problem. You see, Balaam didn't care that much about obeying God. He was just motivated by greed. He had a greedy heart. So God decides to step in and give Balaam a heart check. Look at this, verses 22 through 35. I think this whole scenario is just hilarious. It says, Balaam was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat it to get it back on the road. I mean, this guy's supposed to stop an entire nation. He could barely even control his own donkey. It says, then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. 
So he beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, (laughs) it lay down under Balaam, and he was angry, and he beat it with his staff. Then, this is hilarious, the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, (laughs) and it said to Balaam, what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? (laughs) Pardon my donkey voice. (laughs) Balaam answered the donkey, you've made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey, which you've always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? Well, no, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. Yeah, who's the donkey now, Balaam? The angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I've come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared it. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, (laughs) I've sinned. I didn't realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you're displeased, I'll go back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. And so Balaam goes. And eventually Balaam and the caravan, they make it up to King Balak and Balaam goes up, said, hey, King, nice to meet you. Yeah, I'm here, but uh, here's the deal. Along the way, me and my donkey were just having a little chat and then an angel came and hopped in on the conversation. And between the three of us, we decided that, well, I can't exactly just say whatever I wanna say. I'm only gonna say to you what God tells me to say. Deal, all right? Okay, deal, fine. So Balaam and King Balak go up on this hill, this hill overlooking the Israelites, and they're gonna curse the Israelites. And so Balaam goes up on the hill, waits for what God tells him to do, and Balaam comes back down from the hill and King Balak's down at the bottom, eager to, he's eagerly awaiting, can't wait to hear what kind of horrible doom he's cursed the Israelites to, you know, maybe they're gonna all starve to death, they're gonna get annihilated by some plague or wiped out in battle, this is gonna be great. But instead of some curse, God makes Balaam bless the Israelites, talking about how big and awesome they are and how successful they're gonna be as God's people. And King Balak isn't very happy, so he tries again. They try this not just once, not twice, but three times. They try to curse Israel. They try to curse the people of God. But instead, God makes Balaam bless them. Pretty amazing. And by this point, Balaam's pretty hacked off. Thanks for nothing, pal, you know. So Balak, he gives up. Chapter 24, verses 10 through 14 says, then King Balak's anger burned against Balaam. He struck his hands together and said to him, I summoned you to curse my enemies, but you've blessed them these three times. Now leave at once, go home. I said I would reward you handsomely, but the Lord has kept you from being rewarded. Balaam answered Balak, did I not tell the messengers you sent me? Even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I couldn't do anything of my own accord, good or bad, to go beyond the command of the Lord. And I must say only what the Lord says. Now, I'm going back to my people, but come, Let me warn you of what this people will do to your people in the days to come. So King Balak gets in on the uh, buy three prophecies, get one free deal. Balaam throws in a fourth one that King Balak wasn't even asking for. 
And this fourth prophecy talks about, yet again, how Israel is going to defeat enemy after enemy after anybody. Anybody who stands against Israel, God's gonna wipe them out. And by this point, it has become painfully obvious. No matter how hard they try, Balaam the wizard and Balak the king cannot curse those whom God has blessed. Now, this is a crazy story, right? It's a little bit long, a little bit complicated. But I think if we look closely, this story is more than just about curses and donkeys and kings. This is a story about God. And as we look at this story, I think there's one truth about God that kind of rises to the surface, and it's this. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Now let's take a minute here for a second. Why, why does that matter? Why does it matter that God is sovereign? Well, as the great writer A.W. Tozer says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. In other words, nothing in the world will have a greater impact on your life than your view of God. That's why every week in this sermon series on Exodus, we've focused on another aspect of who God is because we want to have a right picture of him. We want to think of God rightly. It matters what we think about God. For example, if you think of God as just this cosmic cop up in the sky who's eagerly watching and waiting, can't wait for you to do something wrong so he can write you a ticket, you're gonna have a hard time loving him. Or if you think of God kind of as this uh, nice old man with a great white beard up in heaven, kind of this heavenly great grandpa kind of guy who loves you no matter what, but never asks for anything in return, then you're gonna live however you want under the false assumption that you're on God's good side. Or if you think of God as kind of this Santa Claus in the sky who'll give you whatever you ask for as long as you're nice enough, then you'll be disillusioned when pain happens in your life. And you'll wear yourself out trying to earn your own salvation. We could go on and on and on and on. It matters what you think about God. So what does it mean here that God is sovereign? Merriam-Webster defines the noun sovereign as one that possesses supreme authority within a limited sphere. So in other words, to be sovereign is to have this little space where what you say goes. So in the 50 states, the U.S. government is sovereign. What they say goes. In gym class, the coach is sovereign. What he says goes. In the National League Central Division, the St. Louis Cardinals are sovereign. <laughs> First place. Whoop. Uh, meanwhile. Uh, <laughs> but God, God is totally sovereign. He is completely and totally sovereign, which means that the whole earth, the entire universe is the sphere, the realm where what God says goes. He has all power. Nothing is beyond his capability. He can do whatever he wants to do. There's nothing that can stop him. God is sovereign. What God says goes. So from that truth and from this story, I wanna give you two things this morning. I wanna give you a promise. I wanna give you a warning. And here's the promise. God can use any situation to accomplish his will. God can use any situation to accomplish his will. He's sovereign. If he wants to make a donkey talk, he can do it. If he wants to use a pagan wizard to bless his people, he has the power to do that. 
We're talking today about God's protection. That's the title of the sermon. And the thing is about God's protection is that it doesn't necessarily mean that God's gonna protect you from pain and hardship and trouble in your life. No, those things will come to you. It came to the Israelites too. God protected them here, but they were still wandering around in the desert. They still had to fight off a bunch of enemies. Life was not a piece of cake for them. But God's protection meant that nothing could happen to them that would stop God from accomplishing his will for them. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says it like this, a great promise in Romans chapter eight, verse 28. He says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. That means that anything, good or bad, can be used by God. Doesn't mean everything happens for a reason, but it does mean that anything can be redeemed. For example, about three weeks ago, we took a team here from the church on a mission trip to the Balkans. There's a picture of our team. We had a great team, and we spent a week there in a Muslim country running a sports camp for little kids, and we had an incredible week. We got to, uh, full of lots of hard work, lots of laughter, some tears also. We got to tell a lot of these little kids that Jesus loved them. It was the first time they ever heard that. Pretty amazing experience. Just as a side note, we got a lot more mission trips coming up next year. If you've never been on a mission trip, I'd encourage you to sign up for one because you will be changed. But perhaps our favorite part of the week was on Thursday night. On Thursday evening, our team was exhausted. We were all tired from a long week, but we piled into the vans and we drove way out past civilization and up into the hills until we finally came to this small, unfinished little brick farmhouse. You see it there. And there we met a middle-aged farm worker by the name of Butch and his wife, Zita. And Butch and Zita invited us into their home. Zita had been working all afternoon to prepare this authentic local dish for us for dinner. And so our whole team sat around the room, crammed in there shoulder to shoulder in this simple, plain little living room, eating this amazing food. And then Butch and Zita began to tell us their story. Butch and Zita were Muslims, like everybody else around them. They had two young sons. They were living a normal life until one day tragedy struck their family. Their youngest son was 18 months old and was roaming around the house like toddlers do when he fell into a pot of boiling water that Zita was using. The burns were excruciating. His fingers were melted together, his hands permanently stuck in a fist so he couldn't open them. The skin on his arms was melted together so he couldn't straighten out or extend his arms at all. And Zita was the only one home when it happened. There was nobody she could call. She didn't have a car. And so she just picked up her screaming baby and she ran. And she ran and she ran and she ran down this curving, winding mountain road looking for somebody, anybody who could help her. And eventually, after she ran with her burned little baby for four miles, she made it to a main road, managed to find some help. But the hospitals there were unable to do what their little boy needed. And so one thing led to another, and Butch and Zita happened to get connected with the missionaries that our church supports over there. And they made a way for Zita and her little boy to come to Cincinnati, where he had some surgeries, and now he's able to straighten his arms. He's regained the use of his hands. And while they were here in the U.S., Zita heard about Jesus, and she became a Christian. And her husband, Butch, also gave his life to Jesus. And since moving back home, Butch and Zita are still poor. 
They're still breaking their backs just trying to make ends meet. And they don't have any other Christian friends. They've been shunned by their family for their faith. They're looked down upon by their countrymen for abandoning the Muslim religion. They're living a really, really hard and tragic story that hasn't ended yet. And yet as they told us this story, they spoke with such joy and such love and such gratitude. I was floored. And they asked us to pray for them. They asked us to pray that they would have the strength to remain faithful to Jesus, even with all the hardships they're going through. They asked us to pray that their neighbors would come to know the Lord. That's amazing. Would you pray for Butch and Zita, please? And here's the thing. I don't know what role God played in that horrific accident with their little boy. But I do know that God can use any situation to accomplish his will. Anything can be redeemed. Because even through that horrible tragedy, Butch and Zita found the greatest joy of their lives, knowing Jesus. Listen, there is nothing, not Satan or his demons, not the gates of hell or the schemes of men, not the sin of your past or the uncertainty of your future, not the tides of history, nor the toll of death itself that can stand in the way of the power of God. Whatever you're going through today, he can use it for your good and his glory if you let him. God can use any situation to accomplish his will, and that's a promise. And here's the warning. There's nothing more dangerous than being against what God is for. There is nothing more dangerous than being against what God is for. Balaam and Balak both tried to go up against God's people and it didn't end well for either one of them. Just keep reading. And we've seen this over and over again, time and time again. Anyone who stands against God's people, Pharaoh, Egypt, Balaam, they all get crushed. There's nothing more dangerous than being against what God is for. Because God is sovereign. Which also means that you're gonna wanna be on his side. (laughs) Uh, growing up in Missouri, every now and then we'd watch a NASCAR race on TV because that's what you do in Missouri, I guess. <laughs> and always at the beginning of the race, I'd pick out which car I thought would win. And then I'd turn to my little sister, Lydia, and want to make a little friendly wager. I'd say, all right, which, which car do you think will win? I'd say, okay, I've got one picked out. All right, which one do you pick? I'll tell you at the end of the race. <laughs> little sisters, drive me nuts. <gasps> And that would never work in Vegas. But that does work in real life. Because I know who's gonna win. And you're gonna wanna bet on him. Because the empires of Egypt and Assyria and Babylon and Persia and Greece and Rome have all come and gone and the empires of this age will too. But one thing has remained. The people of God, backed by the protection of God. You can bet on that. uh, There's a a great preacher by the name of Randy Harris who outlines the book of Revelation with a really simple three-point outline. Point number one, God wins. Point number two, pick a team. (laughs) And point number three, don't be stupid. (laughs) That's a pretty good outline for all of the Bible, I think. God wins, pick a team, don't be stupid. (laughs) So if you are standing against what God is for, you're gonna wanna switch sides. So can I tell you what God is for? God is for providing homes for the homeless and families for the orphans and dignity for the mentally challenged and care for the widows and those left behind by society. 
God is for welcoming the immigrant and loving the stranger and feeding the hungry and visiting and healing and praying for the sick. God is for caring for the poor and bringing justice for the oppressed and the enslaved and the addicted and the abused. God is for showering little children with love and showering drug addicts and alcoholics and ex-cons and prodigal sons with grace and mercy. God is for giving help to single moms and compassion to those who are struggling with depression. God is for the sanctity of sexuality and the holiness of a marriage between one man and one woman. And God is for the significance of every life, the life of every person, both born and unborn. And God is for the church of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, taking the good news of the Son of God to the very ends of the earth. That's what God's for. And he will not be stopped. So be very careful where you line up. There's nothing more dangerous than being against what God is for. But here's the problem with that. I'm Balaam. You're Balaam. Each of us has known God's will. We've known what God wanted us to do and we kind of toyed around with it a little bit and did our own thing because we wanted to do what we wanted to do. So we just pushed God's will aside. We've chosen, each of us, to be enemies of God. We have stood against what God is for. And we are the ones who deserve to be cursed. And Balaam's fourth prophecy, it shows what happens to God's enemies, people like us. Nation after nation wiped out, impending doom for all who stand against the Lord as we have. Except the good news is there's hope. Even for God's enemies, even for people like us. Because in one line of Balaam's fourth prophecy, he says this, chapter 24, verse 17. He says, I see him but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He's talking about Jesus. He's saying that later on down the line, a good king is gonna come from Israel. And he will be, of all things, descended from a woman of Moab. And later on, that king would come riding in on a donkey, (laughs) intent on obeying God's will, not his own. And then that king would die. He would die for the enemies of God, taking the curse so that they could have the blessing so that they could get on God's side, so that they could become a part of the blessed people of God, so that they could get on the winning team. That's my story. And I hope it's yours too. Let's pray. Great God, mighty King of heaven, You are sovereign. Hallowed be your name. And so, Father, we're just here and we want to say thank you. We want to say thank you for your protection. 
Because we know that no matter the pain and the hardship we're going through in our lives right now, we know that if we cling to you and stay faithful to you, you can work it out for our good and your glory. We thank you that you're strong enough to do that. And so we thank you for your power, Lord, that you are sovereign. You are able. You can do whatever you want to do. You're strong enough. And we thank you so much for using your power to save us. Even while we were your enemies, while we were yet sinners, you sent Jesus to die for us. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.